where everyone who writes a book is a best-selling author. My guest today is the real deal. Author of no less than four genuine bestsellers. Selling to big companies, snap selling, agile selling, and the subject of our conversation today, more sales, less time. Jill Conrath, you're very welcome to the show. You, you documented your journey of discovery. You started from a place where you felt that you were crazy busy, which in some respects is a good, it's a nice problem to have, but it creates its own obstacles. And, and, and on that journey, what you discovered about yourself and about the tools that are out there to help people. And I want to talk a little bit about those. Um, so maybe you could start, Jill, with tell me, why did you feel this book needed writing in the first place? The actual issue of Crazy Busy is something I'd written about in, in my second book, Snap Selling. And that book was all about how to sell to crazy busy buyers. Uh, you know, the distracted buyer who doesn't get back to you, never responds to your messages, um, says that they're interested and wanna do something and, and then they stop and they just kind of, go, kind of go silent on you. It's like, what happened? So I, I spent a lot of time studying how to be effective with those busy buyers and what it took to be successful with them. And almost immediately after that book came out, I started being inundated with uh, questions and comments from salespeople via email or when I was speaking in their sales organizations. And they'd say, Jill, this book has really helped me um, make inroads, capture the attention, pique your curiosity, and keep things moving with today's buyers. And then there was always this comma and a big pause. <laughs> and they'd say, but I'm crazy busy too. What do you have for me? And, and I would look at them in shock and say, well, I have no idea. I'm not a time management expert. I'm, I'm just as crazy busy as you are too. And so for years, I just kept hearing the same message over and over. I'm crazy busy. What do you have for me too? And finally, what happened is a few years ago, I woke up one day and I said, I am so tired of being crazy busy. I have to figure this out. Clearly, it's not just me. It's a problem that is epidemic among people in the sales organization. Um, I, I, I you know, talk to sales leaders that say when they wake up in the morning, they, they take a big gasp and they go, oh God, I'm just terrified to turn on my emails and open up my emails and find out what problems came in last night since I went to bed. And so I realized it was really an epidemic problem. And the reality of it is what motivates me is solving challenges. And I hate the challenges when they're mine, but at some point I detach personally from the challenge and say, this is something that's gotta be figured out. Now let's go do it. And so at that moment in time, I enter into a significant amount of research and then I become my own experimenter. So what you see in More Sales Less Time is me delving into this topic of crazy busy, trying to figure it out and wrestle to the ground. And is it fair to say that you started that journey of, from a point of skepticism about some of the, I guess, some of the content that was out there on productivity? Yeah. I mean, I, the interesting thing to me was that I had always been reasonably productive. Um, and so my growing uh, lack of productivity was kind of a shock for me, my inability to stay focused on topics, my bouncing from task to task. I mean, it was just like I was feeling frazzled all the time. And, and you take a look at what's out there in productivity books and they tell you to log your time and to do this and do that. And I'm, and I'm thinking, first of all, 
I can't log my time because I have all these different things that I'm doing all day long. It's not like I'm sitting in an office and I'm going to this meeting and that meeting. I've got, you know, I've got calls to make, proposals to work on, research to do, you know, all that kind of stuff that mm. people in sales have to do. And you're online all the time. I thought it was a stupid, stupid thing for anybody to suggest. It's like they don't understand the world of the salesperson. And so it, to me, it was like, it didn't make sense to just tackle things that most sales gurus write about because they didn't have to live in the immediacy and the need of a salesperson to be connected and the desire to hear back from people all the time. So it didn't work. Yeah, there's always that danger, I think, when I think anybody who's, who's in, in the sales world will always have an amount of I'm going to say fat in their system. And what I mean by that, it's some inefficiencies. Mm -hmm. And when suddenly there's an extra demand, new businesses coming in, it's, it's almost like they all get amplified and it can almost then just clog up the system and you're running on empty. So, yes. you know, I, I, that, that spoke to me when I read the book as well. It was that sense of you can be coasting and everything is just fine. You've got a rhythm and then because you're doing good work, you get some referrals or in your case, as I said, the book kicked off a, a, a lot of activity and then all of a sudden it's just everything comes to a, to a grind. So tell me then as part of your own journey, going from that position where you said, I'm crazy busy, I need to do something about this. What did you learn that surprised you the most about yourself? Oh, what did I learn about myself? Man, I learned a lot of things. Um, I learned that I don't have the willpower <laughs> to, to fight digital distraction. Mm. Um, I, I truly believe that uh, digital distraction is one of the, the biggest compounding issues that we're facing. And I don't believe that there's enough willpower in my body <laughs> to keep a consistent fight against um, not being, not getting sucked down into the internet and, you know, and, following my areas of interest. I, um, so that was really an important learning. It was important learning to myself that my issue, this sounds strange, but to me, learning that the problem I was having was not a problem of Jill Conrath being a weak person who just couldn't manage her time. It was really a function of being human and yeah. working in an environment that was literally designed to make me non-productive and to suck me into other people's worlds and to get me hooked on email and, and you know, the, um, all the other things that I have to do. It, I, I think probably realizing that was the most freeing, that it wasn't personal and I wasn't losing it. It's interesting you say that because one of the things that jumped out me as well was you, you referred to some research. So I'm, I'm going to call them neuroscientists. That's probably not the right term. But people, when they, when they design these apps, how they, they, they design them to go beyond distraction. They're designed to tap into our evolutionary mechanisms. You know, something, something flashes. Now, that's, that's an evolutionary thing. It could be the dangerous animal that's in the jungle when you're out and you're trying to find some food and you see some branches flash or there's a flashing color and all of our systems go straight to identifying is this a, is this a threat what do i do about this 
And so I, I don't know that that's, that's a willpower issue. I think willpower, is, as you suggested, I think it comes into how do I now reorganize my workspace to take account of that? Because I see it all the time. If my phone is face up and a little you know, message flashes, I don't care where it's from. It's an email, a tweet, LinkedIn, it doesn't matter. Once it goes, it's, it, it's just nagging away and I pick that phone up and, and, and look at it. If my phone is face down, I never, I never think about it. Yeah, but if it's face up, I mean, research even shows that if the phone is in the same room, you know, yeah. uh, it, it is distracting because people will feel the urge to pick it up and look at it, you know, every so often, you know, and every so often can sometimes be every two or six minutes, you know, just because we have this compulsive desire and everything online is designed to suck us in. And we are fighting our, our natural urges, um, you know, to understand. I mean, I think when we're doing our best job selling, our, our, cerebral, our prefrontal cortex is running the show. And that's the most advanced part of our brain that's able to integrate, sort, prioritize, strategize, conceptualize, um, evaluate, assess. I mean, that's what we really need to be successful in today's in business environment, in order to be valuable to our customers. We need our prefrontal cortex to be working. What happens, and research shows this, is that when we go into a digital environment, we go onto our cell phone, you know, onto our desktop, whatever, laptop, whatever we are, once we enter a digital environment, our amygdala, which is that flight and fight mechanism, jumps forward and say, hey, hey, you know, prefrontal cortex, I got this, you know, this is my realm. And it naturally takes over because its job is to survey the environment to determine if there are any changes and if those changes might be, you know, really worth paying attention to because they could be harmful. And so when you think of app designers, but you also think of your own email. I mean, I have emails coming into my inbox. I mean, every day I get an email from LinkedIn and I can open that email and it's got a news feed on it with interesting articles. And I might click on one and that one leads me you know, in the middle of it, it has a link to something that, you know, I find fascinating because it's about sales and some new research on sales, or it's about cringe-inducing mistakes that you shouldn't make when you're prospecting, and boom, I click on that, and, and once I'm there, now, now I'm in a distracted mode because I'm clicking through on different things. Suddenly, my brain, because it's in a distracted mode, will go, geez, Jill, you know, I wonder what the weather's going to be like this weekend. Now, that is, has nothing to do with the cringe-inducing prospecting mistakes, but my brain just went there, and because I'm in bouncing around mode, next thing I know, my, my weather app is open on my phone, and I'm checking out the weather for this weekend. It has nothing to do with sales, but those weather apps, they have cool videos on, and so I scroll down to look at, you know, the temperatures like it's Saturday at noon or something, and then I see a video that says, uh, the new sinkhole in Florida uh, causes a bus crash, you know, to fall, a bus to fall in the sinkhole. So there's a video and suddenly I'm watching the video that I never intended to watch that is two minutes long about the sinkhole and the bus slowly getting sucked into it. And then when that's done, these new things appear on the screen and it, they may be things like 12 plastic surgery fails before and after shots. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the entire system is like a digital sinkhole. It's a digital sinkhole. That's really a good way to describe it. And we all go down that digital sinkhole multiple times a day. Uh, it's, it's impossible to resist. And, and 
research shows that, for example, if you just have your email program open on your computer, just open, that you are twice as likely to, to jump to uh, different websites. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I think the greatest curse are those little email notification things that pop in the side of your screen. And it's one of those things, and you mentioned the book, you just got to switch them off. You got to switch them off. And, and, you know, people in sales argue, I mean, it's like, I can't, it's like my, my lifeline, you know, and if I, if I don't know, I mean, it might, it might be that big order and I, or it might be a customer having problems and I have to respond right away. And one of the things I did is, I mean, you know, I kind of had that feeling too, that I just needed to be available hundred percent of the time for the people that I was working with or might work with. And um, so I, I literally started again, becoming a personal experimenter. Uh, to define what my length of time was between emails. And, you know, the first thing I would start out with is like, what if I just check my emails every 15 minutes or every half an hour to, because uh, I have this addictive need to do this. And by the way, that's chemical and the body releases dopamine and we get hooked on the dopamine drug, which makes us feel good. And if we're rewarded intermittently with something that we really want, like a prize, you know, a good email, we're even more addicted to it. Which So it means our salespeople, our whole sales organization is really sucked into this mess big time. But I started experimenting and, and saying, okay, I'm going to check it every 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And how, then I asked myself, like, how many urgent messages came in during that time frame that required me to take immediate action or I would lose a deal? It's funny you should say that. As a result of reading your book, one of the first things I did was I removed my work email from my smartphone. Huh. And I don't miss it. Because that was, my, that was my thing that I kept checking all the time. I wouldn't necessarily go and... Because I work from home a lot. And my laptop might be in, in my office or in, 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 a, in my bag. So I wouldn't necessarily fire that up. But my phone was so easy. And, and I think that's the problem. It's so easy in the digital world. And I just, I've left Gmail on, so if I need to send somebody an email, I have the facility, but I don't get them. And it's just... It's, it's a relief, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. I found most of the time I was just looking through them and deleting spam, et cetera. And yeah. just, there was nothing in there. It's, we're, we're just addicted to looking at it. There's a, yes. is that, you know, or maybe there's something, or maybe there's something. You know what? There's never anything that important that won't wait. Never. Tell me, you said, Jill, that one of the things you discovered about yourself was about willpower. What, what have you done to try and address that particular issue? Oh, I've done a gazillion things because once I realized that I was fighting all the time, you know, I was trying to hold myself back going, don't check, don't check, Jill, you know, don't check. You shouldn't be on my, you shouldn't go on LinkedIn so much, you know. Um, what I finally ended up doing was I actually used digital technology to, to help me out, first of all first and foremost, and like one of the first things I did is I downloaded an app called Rescue Time. And Rescue Time is an app that just kind of runs in the background and it shows you where you're spending your time online. So I just, for the first week, just actually let it run um, without even thinking. And what it showed me was how much of my time was spent like on certain apps or online in email, you know, and even in Word and different things. Um, I, I was really embarrassed by how how much of my time was frittered away and and literally and i mean frittered away when i when i was honest with myself um so i wanted to improve and so and again because i like to excel at things i wanted my metrics to get better so what i found out that i started doing shortly after that is you know i'd be working on my laptop and doing all this stuff on rescue time 
you know, knowing it was running in the background. And then I really want to, you know, sneak a peek to some things. And I actually moved over to my cell phone <laughs> so, it, so it wouldn't track because it was only tracking on my laptop. And so I started cheating so I could look better and um, get better statistics. <laughs> I mean, that's embarrassing, isn't it? Um, yeah, we've all done that. You know, when you're going on a diet, what you do is you drink lots of water before your first weigh-in. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So you can show some significant improvement. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was like embarrassing to know that I was actually cheating on myself and, you know, making things um, look good. But you know what? At some level, I know I couldn't lie to myself forever. And so what I ended up doing is I ended up getting rescue time then on, on all my devices so that it was really tracking the true me and what I was doing. And it was awful, embarrassing, and I hated it. And at that point, I, you know, I tried to willpower myself into it, but I didn't have the capacity. So some of the things that I actually did is, um, first of all, I, I had to shut down notifications. And I tried shutting down some at first because going cold turkey with no notifications is, is um, hard. Um, but ultimately, I did shut things pretty much all down. And like on my cell phone, the only notifications I have today on my cell phone are notifications um, on text messaging because that's my family's mean of, means of communication. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that, that you have to be available, but I think you can limit it, whether that's a, a second number or just by limiting contact to people in your favorites list. That's another one that I've, 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 I've yes. done. So um, only certain people can contact me through certain hours. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's smart to do. And then take a look. I mean, some, I've been with people. I mean, I was this one woman the other day riding with her and all of a sudden there's a beep on her phone and she looks and there's a, a rain alert coming that, that the area, the office building that we're heading to, it's going to be raining there in about 10 minutes. And I'm going, oh my God, you know, we don't shut our, our, our alerts off and, our, and all these things. And so we're constantly in, from so many apps being distracted. And, and I think research shows that 70% of us don't shut the notifications off. No, it's true. It's true. But it's such a relief. But it feels, I mean, you get twitchy because, of the, you know, when you don't get the notifications, you go, well, what if something's happening? What if something's happening? But after a period of time, you relax into it and you say, oh, God, it's so nice not to be distracted every single moment of the day. What are the people you quote? Jill is a guy called Jar Charles Duhigg. He's the author of The Power of Habit. Yes. He said there in his book that 40 to 50% of what we do every day feels like a decision, but is actually a habit. What did he mean by that? Oh, what he means is exactly, we don't, we don't think that we have habits, but they are. I mean, for example, in working with like enterprise sales reps, um, they are just like totally resistant to scripting things. You know, like I don't want to, have a phone call script. I, I, you know, I'm above that, you know? Um, but if you ever listen to them, whenever they make a phone call, they say the same thing over and over. It's how they, it's how they respond. It's how they call people. And they, and they don't think it's a, a habit. They just think they're getting on the phone and they're looking up people's names, you know, and company and doing the research and they just get on and talk the same old thing. You know, I mean, so that's, Something that is a habit, we don't even know what it is. Another habit, we get up in the morning, we look at our cell phones, first thing. We don't think it's a habit, we just do it. But it mm. is a habit. You know, I mean, all day long we're exhibiting habits and we don't think about it, we just keep doing things. 
And, and, and is that the greatest source of time drain, do you think, the existing habits that we have? Oh, yeah, I really do. The things that we don't even know that are habits. And I mean, right now, when I take a look at what, how people are working, when I take a look at myself and how I was working, the constant bouncing from task to task was a habit. It wasn't how I used to work, but it was a new habit that it slowly built up over time as I became more and more immersed in the digital environment. And it, the habit of bouncing was so interfering with my ability to be good at my job that it was the number one habit I had to tackle. And it, it, boy, my habits fought me. They fought me hard. They fought me strong. They, they kept wanting to to be able to run the show. And, you know, that's why I was talking about willpower. You know, I had to fight my habits all the time. It was really, really hard, which is why in the, you know, I recommend to people that, you know, don't try to change everything at once. You're, you can't, it's too much. You can't do that. It's like changing your diet all at once and saying, well, I'm going to, you know, switch from my, you know, constant on the go fast food diet to something totally healthy. Yeah, it it certainly doesn't work. If you if you if you try to take on too much, it's just over. It's overwhelming. Something I was also fascinated with, Jill, and I wanted to explore a bit further with you was you mentioned about certain activities. Let's say prospecting, mm -hmm. and that people waste a lot of time in in by by how they go about their approach to prospecting. They'll do some research, go to make a call or send an email, and then kind of they're, they're, they, they don't get through if it's a call. So therefore they, they, they look up somebody else and they spend time researching. You recommend, uh, was, was an interesting approach was to set aside, say a day for prospecting so that you optimize your, your activities around a given task. Talk to me a bit more about that because I was, I was really fascinated by it. Well, if, first of all, if you set Tuesday aside for prospecting, um, all week long, you'll be gathering information. You can spend you know, some time researching people. You can take a look at what's going on in their company, who they are as individuals, take some notes. And then on Tuesday, when you're actually doing the prospecting, you can be all ready to do that. You know, you'll just be all ready. And once you do something to start with, you know, your first time you might be prospecting, you might not be in the groove and you're a little bit awkward when you're doing it. But if you are prospecting on Tuesday, you really get much better at prospecting as the day goes on. I mean, you really, you know, after five calls, you're much better probably than you are, you know, at the beginning. And after, you know, an hour, you're, you're really kind of cruising along and you're doing things and you're optimizing your own behavior. People don't realize that. Um, and and, and you, the other thing I would say too, even with prospecting is, you know, if you're calling people, call your least likely prospects first or the ones you're really not thinking are the top ones, call them first to help yourself get in the flow of prospecting so that when you're calling the ones where you really think that there might be an opportunity, you're warmed up and you're ready for them. You yeah, that's, a, that, that's an interesting idea is warming up on ones that you don't feel are so important. Yeah. You, you talk also a lot, Jill, about taking breaks and the importance of actually downtime, which is almost counterintuitive that the, the way to be more productive is to, is to stop for a while. Yeah. One of the things that I got into a lot in researching this book was neuroscience. You know, we've already talked about the prefrontal cortex, but you know, in the, in the brain and the, 
amygdala jumping forward. You know, that kind of stuff is, is so crucial. And the thing that I've discovered about how our brain works too is that we need a constant source of, of oxygen to our brain and, we, and our brain gets tired if it's being focused and working on something. And, and it also gets tired just constantly working on little things that we're doing. Like physically removing yourself from the computer you know, on a regular basis and not sitting for more than, you know, an hour, which many of us slog it out because we just got to get it done. We got to get it done. I got to plow through this proposal. I got to figure this out. I mean, to literally get up after, you know, 50 minutes or whatever and say, I got to take a break and go talk to human beings. Or, you know, if you're in an office where there are people, uh, talk to them. Don't sit and check, you know, Facebook or anything like that. Literally move away from the computer but also to get out and walk or do something physical, it refreshes your brain and, and it pulls you away from the, the little details of the task and it actually frees your brain up to look at a bigger picture and you, it makes better, better connections because now it's pulled back and it can see a problem or a challenge in a different way. And at that point, it really offers you and creates and gives you better solutions. So, to me, one of the things that I really discovered about doing this is I could be working at my computer and, and you know, I do a lot of writing and, and I proposals for clients and stuff too. And, and whenever I would get stuck, if I could leave and go for a short walk, my brain would clear and I would come back with significantly better ideas than I had before. And I mean significantly because my brain had made connections that were not um, readily visible at the beginning when people leverage the you know the power of the rest to find the better ideas and i really think today with the um with the fact that our buyers are so discriminating and they don't want to have their time wasted i really think that salespeople need to bring their best game all the time which means their best ideas their best thinking their best insights best information the most you know they need to have the best strategy and that is not found chained to a desk. No, and I love the idea of walking meetings because I do find it hard to get up and go for a walk when, when you're deeply embedded in a task yes. and maybe it's taken longer than you felt it was going to take and your, your calendar might say, okay, it's, it's been half an hour, 45 minutes, it's time to take a short break. And, and, and the other part of your brain is going, yeah, I'll get to that in a minute. I just need, I just need to finish this. Just need to, yeah, just I need to finish it. Yeah. And then you wrestle with it for another hour and it just doesn't, you know, you just yeah. can't come up with a way to figure out how to make that happen or how to deal with that, that you know, that yeah. feel that's kind of stuck, you know, and you yeah. just don't know. And, and if we just keep doing things and working, we ultimately just come up with the easiest possible solution, which is the way that we've always done it, but may not do anything to unclog the deal or to figure out how to get buy-in from this one person who really doesn't want to change, you know? That's yeah. hard. That's hard thinking. It's hard work. Sure is. Well, one of the things I found, I, I, it's only a recent thing. I got a, an iWatch recently. And it has a facility on it where it'll tap you on the wrist silently and it'll tell you to stand up or move about and you can program it. And I find with that, I just, when it goes off, I just decided I'm going to obey it because I know it's good. And, mm -hmm. and so I'm not fighting with myself. It's telling me 
go do this. And I just follow. She's not able and, to and physically work, you know, at near the capacity that she was doing. And so she was spending time every day, quiet in the morning and meditating and getting really focused on what mattered and just quiet. And then she'd get up and she'd work, boom, 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 and get stuff done. She was having her best year ever, even though she was only working a portion of the time because she was quieting her brain and, and able to sort out the everyday rat race that we're on versus what was really crucial. Mm. Do you think an, do you think a short nap is as good as mindfulness was the word I was looking for? Yeah, but do, do you think a short nap is is as good as that going into those mindfulness routines? Yes, I think people have to figure out what their way of relaxing their brain and letting it go, you know, on its own. Um, short nap, that's what Edison used and it's, you know, all his, he he would actually until he found it, you know, I think he had something balanced and when it dropped on him, it woke him up, but it just was that drifting off stage that mm. really was the important part. For me, um, I, I go for, I don't know, walking meditations perhaps, you know, I just mm. sit out and I don't put on a, an audio, you know, to listen and power pack a, a podcast in, in, in a short period of time, I'm one and a half speed. <laughs> you know, yep. Times I just go out and walk. Yeah. I'm also fascinated, Jill, by just simple little things that we can do to help us break through some of those barriers that are, you know, they're self-inflicted, I guess. But things that you mentioned in the book about something like just clenching your fists when you want greater resolve. <laughs> I know, is that interesting? It is, yeah. Just something so simple. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Because it's what the body physically does. It's like, you know, when you need to keep going on something, what do you do? You, you know, you clench your fists and say, I can do it, I can do it. But just the physical nature of doing something like that, you know, releases different chemicals in your body mm. and, and gives you more resolve, you know? It's well, it does, because I, I, I can imagine it's what you do when you're, when you're preparing to, for a physical fight. Yeah. There's a couple of tells that people have. You can tell when they're just about to go into fight mode. And one of them is their, their fists will clench. Yeah. Another one that you'll see them, they'll tighten up their face. Yes. Yeah. But if you want to be happier, if you smile, it makes you happier. I mean, just the physical act of smiling for a period of time can change your mood. And if you're in a happier mood believe it or not you do better in sales because you're more optimistic and you can see more options than if you're frustrated so you know literally we can change our our feelings and you know where we're at by simply changing some things that help us arrive there in a whole different way than we actually thought possible it's it, it's summed up nicely jill uh, the the line that I, I i took away from this in terms of its importance to people is no one ever prepared us for this. This is the age of distraction. I just love that. I thought it summed up everything you were saying so perfectly in terms of the importance of getting on top of, of, of the, the digital sinkholes before they suck us in, before, before it gets on top of us. And I, I think most people can identify with that because if you, if, if, you're, if you live in the digital age, you, you just know instinctively you've been there. You, you, you're, you're in, you're, you'd have to be an, a robot not to have experienced everything you're talking about. And again, what I loved about the book was it was just so practical. Again, from 
I'm going to say simple ideas like the clenched fist, something that we can do that we don't need an app for, that we can do ourselves. Some of the self-talk, the, the mindfulness that we can do, and then also how we can arrange our, our space, our life, um, how we set up our day to regain time. And I, I think it's, it's, it's more important than just regaining time. It's more about regaining part of who you are, part of yourself, for yourself, that everything we do in the sales world is for somebody else. And you're, you're giving that part of yourself away the whole time. And it's really recapturing that for you. And, and that's why I think it's so, so important why everybody really needs to read this book. Yes, I think it's about vitality in essence. You know, I think so many of us are sap. That's not how we live. I mean, that's not our best living. And I really wish that people would, you know, have the time of their life and, and use it, not just frittered away on digital distractions that weren't there 10 years ago, but right now are running the show. They are running the show that most of us are, you know, acting in right now. And we can change it. We can yeah. change it and we can turn the digital assets that we have and the digital technology we have into our servant rather than being a servant to the technology. Before I let you go, Jill, two quick questions for you. Uh, one is your, your favorite time-saving productivity app and why? And also favorite technique and why? Oh, heavens, my favorite productivity app. Oh. There's so many different ones that you could have that, that help you in sales. I mean, I could go in, you know, a hundred different directions, but if I was just simply trying to protect myself from distractions and I'll just focus on that one right now, I actually like the app freedom a lot. Okay. And does that work across platforms? It does. I, I believe it works across platforms and, um, and you can literally block yourself from going online to keep you focused on a task. It, it's one of those ones that keeps me from having to exercise willpower. Interesting. Because I shut myself off, literally shut myself off from going online. I have to, my computer is kind of locked and I can tell which apps or which sites I can't go on. Yeah. And it just forces me to get back to just doing the work, the, the mental work, the creative work that I need to do um, and not be distracted on. So it allows you to actually shut down certain apps. Yeah, I like it. I can't go online and it, and it, it grows. It, cross-platform you know it's like I put it so it, I can't do it on my cell phone <laughs> I can't do it on my iPad I can't do it on my computer so, so technically could you use this to stop yourself sending stupid tweets at three o'clock in the morning you technically could yes mm -hmm. interesting <laughs> yes, yes you could yeah we could using it um, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking more of somebody going out on a Saturday night texting an ex-girlfriend, an ex-boyfriend. But the, yeah, yeah. As soon as I, as soon as I said it, I was actually thinking of somebody else. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, and what was the second question you asked? Favorite technique. Um, okay, and, and this is not. I mean, because my whole background is sales, mm. and my brain is entirely wired for sales. I'm not going to go with a technique that's really just from this book but i truly believe that asking good questions is the key to being really successful insightful questions questions that set you up for you know to find out good information that may help differentiate you i think 
if a person can really focus on on um, their customer and understanding the customer and helping understand the customer operations through really um, thoughtful planning of questions, they will be much further ahead than anybody else. And Jill, so if somebody wanted to to do more of that and 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 learn more about asking insightful questions. And they could, if they could just read one of your other books, Selling to Big Company, Snap Selling or Agile Selling, which one would you recommend they start with? Well, I, it's, it's kind of in all of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're they're like, all your children. You can't pick one, right? No, they're all my children. Um, they're just, each of the books is different. You know, Selling to Big Companies is all about how to get into large corporations. If you, you know, if you're not in there already or how to meet with somebody from a big company. It's just about getting in and having a first meeting where snap selling is about how do you deal with a, a busy decision maker, you know, at any phase of the sales cycle and agile selling is for uh, somebody who's in a new sales job and it's how to quickly learn the stuff that you need to learn to be successful in the new position. And you know, the new, yeah. this one is about how to get more time so you can, get more work done, but also so you can really be a, a better thinker and strategist in your position. And if people want to get in contact with you, Jill, what's the best way to do that? The best way is via my website. And, you know, to, to go to my website, I got a ton of free resources there, but Jill at JillConrad.com. And I have to say, I much prefer getting emails through that than through LinkedIn because I have um, over 360,000 LinkedIn connections and my LinkedIn feed is like, Gotcha. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, I can't, it's, it's a horrible feed, first of all. <laughs> it is. It is. Cause if somebody, if once, once a few more come, it just disappears off your page it and they're gone. Yeah. And, and your response goes to the top and it's like, yeah. I'm trying to work my way through this. You know, it's a yeah. horrible feed. I hate being contacted by it. LinkedIn. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. So jillconrad.com is the best way to reach you and, and, and to email you through that website as well. Yeah, right. would be the handiest way to do it. Uh, also, Jill, I wanted to mention to listeners that in the book itself, there's, you have links to a number of tools that people can use to help themselves become more productive. And I thought that was a really great idea to embed those in the book as well, that you, know, you give them the URL and they can go and download a free PDF. I really you know, try to be helpful and everything that I create is all very practical um, stuff that people can use immediately. That's kind of my way of operating. Jill, I want to thank you again so much. It's been, it's been chock full of insight and thank you for sharing your experience and your insight with our audience. Uh, thanks once again. Truly my pleasure, Paul. Thanks for having me. My pleasure.